We are called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We are called to Christ-likeness. This isn't just for pastors. Can we look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what He did for us there? And then say, oh, I can't believe they're asking us to come to church twice. It is time to preach a full gospel. Mark 1 and verse 15, it says, Jesus began to proclaim, repent and believe the gospel. Why have we removed the first word from the gospel message? Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 to 16. And um, if we could get that on the screen, and we're going to read it together, amen? So just encourage you, read it out loud. There's something very powerful about the reading of God's word. When you read your Bible, don't just read it in your head. Speak it out. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing. And there's something, when you're speaking the word of God, whether in your home or even lying in your bed or driving your car, there's something about the speaking of God's word is very, very powerful. Amen. So let's read together. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You may be seated. So here the Bible says God gave the fivefold ministry for a purpose. Not so that they would do the work of the ministry, but uh, rather so that they may prepare uh, every one of you to do the work of the ministry. And the Bible says the reason for that is that we would no longer be children. Amen. Tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Uh, and, and it says that we may grow up. Amen. And this is so important. Uh, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. And... Um, so uh, this, this very important passage speaks of the maturing of the saints. And, you know, one of the characteristics of children is that they're easily scared by things that adults ignore. I remember when my little girl was, was young, you know, if, if it was wild outside and it was stormy and the rain was hitting the window, you'd, you'd see those big brown eyes, they'd be wide awake and she'd be, she wouldn't be able to go to sleep because she was scared. But you know, when you become an adult, when you grow up, there are things that might have scared you as a child that don't uh, scare you anymore, amen? And so, and this is the reason we can't give a fearless witness um, unless we are stable and mature. And so we're called to Christ-like uh, maturity, amen? And so this is the thing. If we're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the latest you know, news item or agenda, it's not a good testimony. And, and this is why, again, you need to have somebody that you call pastor. And this is why you need to belong to a local church. Psalm 92, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of their God. Because again, you can hear a teaching online, but you can't find accountability, you can't find true relationship or an opportunity to serve um, online, amen, or through a TV screen. And so we're talking about keys to fearless witness. We've dealt with uh, fearless faith, we've dealt with fearless love, and last week we started dealing with fearless witness. I'm going to finish it today. And so we were dealing last week with the first point, how we live. And so I didn't get to finish that, so put your seatbelt on and we'll do another lap of the track and, um, and, and then we'll, we'll get into finishing uh, the, the message. Uh, but let me say this, how we live matters greatly to God. Amen? Uh, it was uh, the American revivalist Jonathan Edwards who said, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. It is his great concern. 
As the business of the soldier is to fight, so the business of the Christian is to be like Christ. So let me ask you, is Christ-likeness your goal? Amen? Because again, Christ-likeness, our comfort, you can't have both. You know, is, is it your goal to know God and to glorify Him, or rather is it to get rich or die trying? Or as the sticker in Eddie Rocket's takeaway uh, cooking area says, get rich or die frying. Amen? The choice is yours. So Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. And it says, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So again, here the Bible is talking about coming off the milk of the word and getting on to the meat. It's talking about maturity. And let me say, you know, it grieves Pastor John and me as, as pastors. You know, in life of the need that surrounds us and the urgency of the hour to have to keep going back to the ABCs of the Christian faith uh, with believers who, who should really know, um, uh, who should really be more mature by now. Amen. But so many times it's like you have to keep going back and just going through the basics. So again, let me say this. Do we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again? I absolutely do. But the question is, if we do, why don't we live like it? Amen? Because let me say this. Some of you are celebrating in church Sunday morning and throwing back shots Saturday night. You know, some of you are turning up halfway through the service. If you even turn up at all. But pastor, I come once a month. What do you want? A medal? What would you think of somebody who says, I go to the gym once a month? You know that that person is badly out of shape. Amen? And that's the way a lot of Christians are. They are badly out of shape spiritually. Amen? So I'm talking about Christ-like maturity. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 admonishes us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And it says, For this we were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. We are called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We are called to Christ-likeness. This isn't just for pastors. And let me say this, your family and your colleagues and your relatives and your neighbors may not believe what you believe, but they need to know that you believe it, and more importantly, you live it. Amen? We need to be living this. We need to be living it before our friends and our family on a daily basis because your life can be a sermon. Amen? Your life can be a sermon. Amen? And if it isn't, then you need to shut up and be quiet. Okay? If you can't live it, then don't be trying to push it on anybody else. We need to practice what we preach. I think it was A.W. Tozer said this. Any objection to the carryings on of our present golden calf Christianity is met with the triumphant reply, but we are winning them. Winning them to what? To true discipleship? To cross-carrying? To self-denial? To separation from the world? To crucifixion of the flesh? To holy living? To hard self-discipline? To love for God? To total commitment to Christ? Of course, the answer to all these questions is no. A.W. Tozer. Nikki Cruz, we stink more of the world than we stink of sackcloth and ashes. A lot of contemporary churches would feel more at home in a movie house rather than in a house of prayer, more afraid of holy living than of sinning, no more about money than about magnifying Christ in our bodies. It is so compromised that holiness and living a sin-free life is heresy to the modern church. The modern church is quite simply just the world with a Christian t-shirt on. You know, these are sobering words. And again, I'm not knocking a church being contemporary. You know, contemporary is just a style. Contemporary or classic, it's irrelevant. The question is, are you living for Christ? Is Christ 
likeness your goal. It doesn't matter if you worship on a, with, a, with an organ or a guitar or with a, with a band. Ultimately, God looks at our heart, but we need to practice what we preach. Where are the men and women of God who carry the burden of the Lord? You know, the, 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 very, the, the very fact that there are many Christians or believers who don't even know what that is or would seek to even deny that there is such a thing is sad in itself. Oh, oh, pastor, we're not called to burdens. We're free. Free or cheap. That is the question. Have we embraced a cheap Christianity without a cross and without a crown? Jesus said, if you come follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Sometimes I think we are cheap because God gave his all. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Can we look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he did for us there? And then say, oh, I can't believe they're asking us to come to church twice. Oh, I can't believe that they believe in, in tithing. I can't believe that they're saying that I shouldn't be living with my girlfriend. Everybody else is doing it. That's cheap Christianity. Saying one thing and doing another. Mark 8 and verse 34. And when he had called the people to himself with his disciples, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Self-denial. I know this is not your typical, you know, woke message or your, you know, mega church message or whatever you want to hear. But this is the gospel. This is Jesus our Savior talking. My job is not to make you comfortable. My job is in some way to play a part in bringing you to Christ-likeness. And it is not going to be a comfortable journey. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Are you ashamed of the words of Jesus Christ? Particularly in a generation that has embraced so many crazy ideas. You know, this week in, in the United States, the, the government have decided to come out with a misinformation board. With, with really troubling parallels to the ministry of truth from George Orwell's uh, book 1984. Uh, you know, a disinformation board. This is the very same government that says a man can become a woman. That a man can become pregnant. The same government that endorses abortion and places no most sacramental value upon the killing of unborn children. This is where we are at. And so I'm just simply saying, church, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And it's time to walk this, to live this life for Jesus Christ without apology. I don't know about you. I refuse to be ashamed of what the word of God says. Whether it's about marriage or sexuality or killing little babies or anything else. Either it's the word of God or it's not. So many pastors tiptoeing around so many issues. Oh, I don't want to say that. People might leave. Let them leave. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of of his father and with the holy angels. Jesus Christ is coming people. We need to be ready. Jesus Christ is coming. No one could ever accuse Jesus Christ of sugarcoating the gospel. Or making false promises. Jesus was very straight. He was very blunt. He was very abrupt in proclaiming truth. If people accepted it great. If like the rich young ruler they chose to walk away. So be it. And I believe that call is going out in the spirit right now. 
You know, this last two years of COVID, there's been a sifting happening in the church. Fact is, there are churches that still haven't opened and they're probably never going to open because God has closed them. If they're not going to proclaim truth, if they're not going to stand for righteousness, that's not a church anymore. That's just a social club. Do we really believe that Jesus is coming again? Jeremiah 38 and verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and put him in the cistern of uh, Magdalene, the king's son, who was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Can you imagine Jeremiah? He'd done his best to proclaim the truth, and here he's thrown into a cistern, and he's sinking down into the mud. Jeremiah understood what Jesus was talking about, taking up your cross. He was excluded, attacked, criticized, imprisoned, and even thrown into a muddy well, but he didn't hold back. You know why? He was a man with a burden. Jeremiah 4.19, you can still hear that burden in this verse. Oh, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart, my heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent, for I've heard the sound of the trumpet. I've heard the battle cry. Have you heard the call? Do you have a burden for a lost and a broken world? Do you long to see this generation come to Christ? I so desire to see Ireland come to know the living God. Not religion, but to hear, to, to encounter Jesus. Not the philosophies of man, but to encounter Jesus. But you see, they won't know him or fear him if we don't. Isaiah 66 and 2. For all those things my hand has made, and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Do you tremble before God's holy, written, infallible word? If you do, you will obey it. The only part of the Bible you believe is the part you obey. Amen. That's why we don't take a long time doing offerings. We don't beg. We don't try and manipulate. You know, you know what the word of God says. If you give, great. If you don't, that's uh, uh, you know, between you and God. But ultimately, you know, we, we believe that the word of God has to be proclaimed. Amen? And, and this is the thing. If we, if we believe it, we will obey it. And, and, and so this, this is the, 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 the question I have. Is, there, is the reason why the world doesn't tremble before God's word is the reason why? Because we don't tremble before God's word. Maybe they're not converted because we're not convicted. If you're convicted about this word, you will live it. Hebrews 12 verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. You see, the fire must touch our lives first. You know, Luke 24, it says, Did not our hearts burn within us? As, as he talked with us and, and walked with us on the road, our hearts must burn for him. John Wesley, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Oh, Jesus. That's why I never want to give this message in a half-hearted, lukewarm manner because there is no message like the gospel and there is no message more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no question more important than where will you spend eternity. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? There is no question in this life that surpasses that one. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? You know Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 33 to 39. I'm not going to go there. But in the King James Bible it mentions the burden of the Lord eight times. And I appreciate, when you read it in context, the false prophets were using that phrase um, in mockery, in derision for, for Jeremiah. But you know what? It was, the, it was the burden, it was the call of God that separated Jeremiah. There's a scripture that the Lord gave me when I was very uh, newly saved. And you know, it's really been one of those verses that, that God has used to speak to me in such a profound way about the call of God. 
Because I was newly saved, I was in Bolton Street in college and you know, so many people just thought I was crazy because I read the Bible and I wasn't doing what they were doing. And you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, I sat alone. When break time, I, I hated break time because I was Johnny No Friends because people just couldn't relate to me. They, they, they just thought I was, I was weird and, and I, I didn't want to do uh, you know, anything wrong. And so I, I used to sit alone and I used to just read or just go for a walk. And um, uh, you know, I, I, three years of that. And, 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 and so, but, but you know, this verse spoke to me so strongly. It says, oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away. Know that for your sake I've suffered rebuke. Your words are found and I ate them and your word was to me my joy and the rejoicing of my heart for I'm called by your name. Oh Lord God of hosts, how many of you can say today, I'm called by his name. Glory to Jesus, I'm called. I'm not perfect, but I'm called. Hallelujah. And it says, I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, not that I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand. Few filled me with indignation. That's why I, you know, after school, when they're all going to, after college, going out to the bar, going out to the pub, I never went. I just never felt, uh, you know, at ease in those places. Uh, you know, I had a hunger to, to 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 answer the call of God and to know God. And it says, I, I didn't sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand. Few filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back and you shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. That's a message for the church of Jesus Christ. We cannot try to start to compromise truth in order to, you know, appease a sinful world because you can never, you know, lower your standards low enough to appease the world because there's a spirit of the world and therefore we're called to be separate and we have to be okay with that. You know, the Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. It says we are pilgrims, amen? And, and so, you know, we... We have to get over that, that fact that there will be times that maybe we, we may be left alone. We may not fit in to the party, etc. But it says, um, I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. For I'm with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. And I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. And I'll redeem you from the grip of the terrible. Thank you, Jesus. We have this promise from God, amen, that if we will answer that call, we may face challenges, we may face trials, you know, just like Jacob, the call of God at times will, will cause you to be, it says Jacob was left alone, amen, and but that, that, it was in that place of loneliness that he encountered Christ, and some of you today may be in that lonely place. You're far from your friends, your family, maybe things are going wrong in your life, but know this, the Lord will meet you right where you are. Amen. And so, again, it's so important for us to grasp what God is saying. The call of God separated Jeremiah from sin. That is the first thing the call of God will do. You know, Isaiah encountered God in his glory and he said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so he was convicted of his sin. And so this is why, again, as the church, we need to deal with the sin in our lives. Amen? We need to repent and turn from it and not play with it in Jesus' name. And so the call of God separated Jeremiah. Are we burdened by a lost world that is on its way to a Christless eternity? Well, we should be. And we can't hide behind excuses saying, oh, that's not my thing, Pastor John. Listen, uh, Timothy was a, a, a pastor, but Paul said to him, do the work of an evangelist. We are all called to win souls in whatever way we can. Are we burdened by the fact that our society lives as if there is no God? Uh, a friend of mine came from Africa 20 odd years ago, and you know, within a short time, he remarked to himself, these people live as if there is no God. And I think that is so tragic. You know, for people to live and die without really acknowledging God or serving God or, or getting to know God. You know, Psalm 29 and verse 1, and uh, it says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. 
Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's why I pushed for churches to be open because I believe God is worthy of praise. He is worthy of glory. We have an obligation as believers to gather and to worship the King. Amen? Let, let, me, uh, let me read this quote. And it's, uh, sorry, it's the, the Hebrew word in Jeremiah 33 when it talks about burden. And in the Hebrew idiom, um, it means a, a weight or a burden um, of a message to be proclaimed. You see, there is a weight that comes with a message. And that's why, you know, some messages you can hear and walk out and completely unchanged. Other messages hit you like a freight train because there's a weight behind them. Amen? And so when Jeremiah spoke about a burden, it was the, the, the weightiness of God, the weightiness of God's purpose, of God's call. You see, there is a message. Amen? Because again, it's the weight or the burden of a message to be proclaimed. You see, there is, there is a message that this generation desperately needs to hear. And it is a message of repentance and redemption through Jesus Christ. And it is a message that still stirs the hearts of men and women when it is proclaimed. Amen. And this is why, again, it's so important to understand there is no message like the gospel. You won't find peace and happiness and fulfillment through wealth or possessions or popularity or fame. It can, and, and you know what? Happiness isn't found in the fake airbrushed perfection of Instagram. Where everybody's got perfect teeth, perfect hair and a perfect life. Yeah, right. You see, there is no filter that can cleanse you from sin and shame. Forgiveness and fulfillment is only found in the, uh, you know, in repentant hearts at the foot of the cross. And this is why as the church, we need to go back to the cross. It is time to preach a full gospel. Mark 1 and verse 15, it says, Jesus began to proclaim, repent and believe the gospel. Why have we removed the first word from the gospel message? Because it's politically incorrect. No, we can't be ashamed that Christ firstly calls us to repent. That means turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. It's not continue as you are and now you're saved. No, it's not. It's a call to repent. It's a call to turn. Amen. And so, again, there is a cost to the call. There is no place for pride or ego or vanity. Amen? Secret sin has to go. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I, I taught like a child. I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Let me say, there are some foolish and childish things that God is calling all of us to put aside in this day in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You see, we have to stop indulging sin. You know, I love that old poem. There is a land of sin and shame, of, of hearts in sin and tar. But there is a name, a name, a name that can set that soul on fire. And in the same way, the Bible says, you know, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Oh, glory to Jesus. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. Romans 13 and verse 11. So do this knowing the time. So do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awaken out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in envy, uh, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Do we realize the seriousness of the hour? Church, it's time to wake up. Jesus is coming back. You know, much of the church was asleep during COVID. And sadly, not only was the church silent when it needed to speak. The church wasn't just silent. The church was scared. You know, we talk as Pentecostals about fire in our bones and the power of God. I didn't see a whole lot of that during COVID. I saw a lot of Believers who are just as scared as the world. Makes you really wonder what we actually believe. 
You know, it is a fact that post-COVID, a large proportion of the church, somewhere in the region of 30%, have not returned. And this is a global phenomenon. People still barricaded in their homes or at least barricaded in their heads. I mean, I, I, a, a lady drove past me the last day in her car, the window down and a mask on, in the middle of the country. I mean, what's the, are you going to give yourself COVID? I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just trying to ask, you know, have we been so brainwashed with fear to the point we can no longer function in society? You see, we are the church. We are a body. And a, a part separated from the body dies. You know that. You cut a piece of your body off, that part dies. You see, we are a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Some of you might feel sorry for yourself, you know, being in this church, but you know what? God has put you here. God's given me something for you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But you know what? It's so important to understand that we are a body. You could read that whole chapter and it talks about over and over again that you are part of the body of Christ. And so we need to be aware of the fact that there are agendas at play that you might not understand and yet these agendas affect you nonetheless. Okay, and so th this is important for us to grasp because there was a reason for the lockdown and it wasn't just about a virus and neither was it about safety, it was about control. It was about control. How many of you know the world today is a much more controlled place? I remember just hearing an interview about uh, somebody who was in, in government in the UK and they said there's no way we'd be able to get, a, get away with this and then Italy did it and so they decided to, to put their nation into lockdown because this was unprecedented in terms of uh, d democratic nations. And um, you know, apparently the Irish government are going to sign a WHO global pandemic pact called an international pandemic treaty and this is supposedly to facilitate cooperation for all of the future pandemics that the Antichrist has planned. And so, again, why stop now when you've been so successful in subverting freedom and in, you know, uh, consolidating power? And uh, so, you know, the treaty will be legally binding if signed um, under an international law. And so if, you know, a, a, another government decided to not play along with the demands of the WHO, uh, that nation could possibly be punished. And so if you're a believer and if you're not a believer and if you've bought into all of this, uh, you may not realize the seriousness of the hour. Some of these changes may actually seem like a good idea. But in effect, what this is, is another step towards global governance as the Bible warns us in Revelation chapter 13. And I'm just going to read it here, amen? And it says, um, uh, speaking of the Antichrist, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor. It's interesting that one of the things that we saw in governments were certain individuals, whether in government or in media or celebrities, etc., who uh, decided to go full totalitarian and demand that everybody be forcibly vaccinated, uh, irrespective of whether they wanted to have an injection or not. And uh, yeah, that's fine if you live in North Korea, but when you saw people in, you know, the United States and Europe and many other democratic, you know, democratic, supposedly democratic societies calling for this, it's an indication of the times that we are in. And so it says, 
And I don't care whether you got it or not, but I'm just simply saying, you know, a person should be allowed bodily autonomy to say yes or no. And, um, you know, to hear people like Trudeau talking about how you want to make people's, uh, Macron, these leaders looking to make people's lives as miserable as possible until they submitted to the agenda. Um, I, I think that should, you know, suggest to you that you should be aware of what is going on. It says he causes it doesn't say they choose, he causes all, small and great, rich and poor, uh, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell, except the one who is the mark, uh, or the name of the beast, uh, or the number of his name. And so there's a principle here, uh, I'm not saying that a vaccine is the mark of the beast, please don't take me out of context, I'm just simply saying that once we establish the principle that you can't go into a shop unless you have a mask. You can't go into a restaurant unless you have a vaccine. You can't, you know, even to, the, to this very day in Canada, you can't get on a train or a plane unless you have been vaccinated. There is a principle here of subversion of people's free will. And, and it is, uh, it's not, it doesn't involve a great leap of the imagination to see how it can go from not allowing you into a restaurant to not allowing you to buy or sell. Just regards to this pact, just saying to the Irish people, did you get a chance to vote on this? Just wondering. No. And it doesn't matter what slant they might put on this. It's clearly going to undermine our national sovereignty and the very principle of democracy. Because again, over and over, we're seeing these, these global organizations, whether the WF, WEF, the, the UN, the WHO, you know, taking priority over the decisions of national government. And uh, let me read this uh, recent quote just in the last week. Uh, uh, Bill Gates. To avoid another COVID-19 or worse, the world needs a full-time paid team whose uh, entire job is to prevent pandemics. I call it GERM, G-E-R-M, Global Epidemic Response and Mobilization Team that will be overseen by the WHO, of course. Um, so, you know, Bill Gates, you know, wants to do this to prevent pandemics, uh, so-called. Is it to prevent a pandemic or is it to implement a plan? And, um, you know, the article in the Wall Street Journal continues. And the team would take the lead on creating and coordinating common responses, such as how and when to implement border, border closures and recommend mask use. So this group will be telling nations when you open your borders and when you close them. Right there, you have world governance. And just as militaries do complex exercises when they simulate different conditions and uh, see how well they respond, the GERM, GERM team, I mean, this is like something out of a bad, bad James Bond plot. Uh, it says the GERM team would organize outbreak response exercises, not war games, but GERM games. I find that truly disturbing. Germ games. You need to be ready. Jesus Christ is coming. The world does not know what is coming, but as believers we do. We've been warned. And so when the global, the WEF talks about a global reset, they're not playing games. They're not joking. They're not playing games even if the church still is. You know, I have to ask, do we take the Lord's commission as seriously as those who serve the devil take his. Because, you know, the whole climate change, COVID, vaccine, all these things are Trojan horses to further the enemy's agenda, which is world domination. He tried it through Hitler. He tried it through all of these various, you know, empires. That was the devil's plan always, to bring the world under control. You see, among globalists, there is a, a belief that there's too much freedom and too many people. And so much of this dumbing down that we're witnessing through social media, through music, through entertainment, and even through education, it is deliberate and intentional. What do you mean by dumbing down? 
You know, you, you see a typical family in an evening. There was a time we would have actually looked at each other and talked to each other. Now what are people doing in a, in a room? Just dummies. Go, go on public transport. Uh, 20 years ago when I came to this city, people talked to each 30 years ago. Oh my God, I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> Complete strangers would chat to you on the bus. Now you get on the bus or the Lewis. Silence. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a dummy. <laughs> but why is this dumbing down happening? So that we will be easier to manage. And so let me say this to the guys. I have a heart for men. I love the guys. You know, every Monday night we have a Zoom, 7 o'clock. But if you're a grown-up man who dresses like you're a 10-year-old child, complete with Star Wars t-shirt and shorts, please stop. Oh, pastor, pray, pray that I'll get a wife. You look like you need a mother. I don't know why I can't find a wife. Really? You really don't know? To be honest, much of what passes for so-called progressive policies seems to be more about reducing your standard of living, reducing your intelligence, reducing your appetite for freedom. How dystopian was it recently to see, and I think was it in Shanghai, where they had these, these uh, what are those little things that fly in the air? Drones, blaring out in Chinese, you know, hold back your souls, yearning for freedom? Reducing standard of living, reducing your intelligence, reducing your appetite for freedom, and in the end, reducing population. Because whether it's the whole LGBT or trans indoctrination of kids, the impoverishing of the population through climate change taxes. If you, case in point, we got married in 99. We didn't buy a house till 03. We didn't have any children till we had a house. My wife felt no desire to have children until she had her own space. So in some ways, as long as we can keep people living in little, apart little apartments and they're renting, they don't have their own place. As long as we can keep indoctrinating children and telling women they're, bo they're, they're, they're men and telling men they're women. All of this, uh, you know, the rampant abortion, all of this is reducing the population. That's, there's an agenda to do that. It's not an accident. Okay, and so, you know, liberal ideology at its core is rooted in the belief that there are too many people and too much freedom and the people, like I said, too many people who are too stupid to think for themselves. I mean, do you think it's a coincidence that most of those who died in COVID were old and infirm? It was deliberate. It is called eugenics. Eugenics is the practical application of evolutionary thinking. Okay, and I, I, I understand these are all big words, but we, we need to think, we need to learn. Listen, we need to quit this. You need to put that down and pick up a book and start to read and start to pray and start to think for yourself. But eugenics is the same ideology that motivated the founder of Planned Parenthood in the USA, uh, Margaret Sanger, and she once referred to black people as weeds. She deliberately started that organization with the, with the aim of killing uh, black people and Asians. She looked down on them as well. Uh, you know, it, it's a fact that somewhere in the region of, uh, I think black women constitute somewhere in the region 13% of uh, America's population, and yet they constitute 38% approximately of those who go for abortions. Do you know there's more black babies are aborted in New York than are born? But yeah, you know, abortion liberates you, yeah, sure. It is this evolutionary philosophy that the strong survive while the weak die. And yes, we see that in, in nature. But the further we go from the Bible as a society, the more we're going to see that implemented in, in our societies. And so if you're over 40, that should concern you. Because there may come a time when they decide that you have 
um, you know, lived out your, your uh, useful uh, time on this planet and you need to be, uh, you know, taken out. And so this was the reason, eugenics, I believe, this was the reason why they shut gyms and kept off licenses and takeaways open during COVID. They want you fat, stupid, lazy, scared, and most importantly, distracted. Okay, because as long as you're distracted, they can carry on with their ruthless Marxist takeover of society unimpeded. Because I believe a Chinese style social credit system is being implemented. The pieces are being put into place all around us and we're too stupid to even notice. And you might say, stupid pastor? Yes, speaky English? Stupid. <laughs> we're blind. We need to wake up. Jesus is coming back again. But you might say, well, why did you say stupid? Look at our entertainment. You have some half-naked, hedonistic woman shaking her rear end, singing lyrics I can't even repeat in church. And yet their biggest demographic is little children. Parents, are you crazy? Oh, but pastor, the music is so catchy. Well, so is syphilis and Ebola, but I'm not going to go near it. Don't play that stuff. Don't play that stuff in your home. See, our TV and our entertainment is, is laced with profanity and nudity and violence and dysfunction. I mean, can you say when you put down your phone after an endless scroll that might have gone on for hours that your life is any better? Can you say, can you say after watching hours of mind-numbing videos that you have learned anything? You know, has, has watching, like I said, endless cat videos and, and makeup tutorials by some, some narcissistic teenager with perfect teeth made your life any better? I'm just asking. Because let me say this, for some of you, your Bible is nothing more than an ornament. You go for weeks or even months without reading it. You see, they're called smartphones to make you feel better. I'm convinced they're making us dumber, not smarter, okay? Not only dumber, but more open to being manipulated, okay? And so, like I said, just in regards to COVID, if you're one of those who got fat, yes, I just said the F word in church. <laughs> if you got fat over COVID, you need to get back in shape. You need to look after your spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians 5.23. Tough times may be coming, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready spiritually, physically, mentally. Because the last two years are just the beginning of the battles we will face as the church. So give me another 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes and I'll finish. But this is, uh, there's a weightiness to this message. I have to finish it. If you need to go, then go. But you know what? I believe you're going to miss what God is speaking at this present time. So now I've just made it clear I'm going to continue for a little bit more. So just hang in there. <laughs> and let me say this. As a pastor, I now know which ministers I will go to when we're facing a fight. And I know which ones I'm going to ignore. And ironically, many of those that I'll go to aren't Pentecostal. Playing dead is not working. Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, the new living. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ah, pastor, you're not banging on about that again, are you? Let me say this, some of you developed unhealthy habits over COVID, whether it's food or alcohol or endless box sets. I believe it's time to get in shape, okay? Let, let me say this, some people started COVID with a glass of wine a week and the, it ended up with a bottle of wine a night, okay? And so, a, a, again, some people have come out of COVID being alcoholics, because you're playing with fire. And again, even if you don't trip yourself up, your example may give another person the permission they need to mess with something that will destroy their life. You know, I, I'm reminded of a man, I led him to Christ. I said, you need to come to church. He said, yeah, 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 I'll come sometime. He never came. He never came. But he ended up, you know, uh, assaulting his wife and, you know, facing possible jail time simply because he didn't make the right decision. 
You got to follow up. Jesus didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. That's why you got to come to church. Go to Bible school. Renew your mind with the word. And, and because you can't live different until you think different. And the only thing that can change the way you think is God's word. Ephesians 5, and it says, live as children of light. I don't have time to go through it, but it says live as people of light. But you might say, but I'm a young person, pastor, and it's so hard. Jesus never said it would be easy. He never said it would be easy. John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You see, serving God in this generation requires courage and determination. Because the Bible speaks of the narrow way, not the easy way. Amen? Matthew 7 and verse 13. Jesus spoke. Nobody could ever say, Jesus, you didn't make it clear. Yes, he did. Abundantly clear. Enter by the narrow gate, for wise is the gate. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the way, uh, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus said it would be difficult at times. You know, waiting to have sex until you are married may be tough, but it's worth it. Being a person of integrity may mean that at times you may be misunderstood or maligned or attacked or rejected, but it's worth it. Second Timothy 1.3, Paul said, God, whom I serve with a clear conscience. There is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. And while I'm at it, you know, it's just one of those messages. While I'm at it, some of you who are in your 30s and, and 20s, you're causing others to stumble by your example. Because let me say this, as a parent of five kids, it is difficult for us as parents to tell our children, don't drink, don't have sex before marriage. And while some of you may agree in principle, you're not living it. Thank you for that one. Amen. You're not living it. As a pastor, I deal with a lot of dysfunction and addiction. Broken homes, broken hearts, broken lives. And the reality is this. Your example may be causing others to fall into sin. Uh, are you trying to say, Pastor, if I don't live holy, if I don't come to church, uh, I'm not saved? Yes. John Osteen said this. Whatever kept you out of church last Sunday is your God. You're not saved by going to church, but if you are saved, you'll want to go. You're not saved by living holy, but if you are saved, you will want to live holy. And if you're sinned, you, if you sin, you will be grieved. If you can go on week after week, month after month, living with your girlfriend, downloading porn, doing all of this kind of stuff, I'm sorry, I really question whether you're saved. God is a holy God. And let me, let me add to this. If your kids aren't in church, it's quite possibly because they're not saved either. If the thought of your kid going to hell doesn't move you to pray, then I question whether you're saved. But pastor, my kids pray the prayer. Yeah, but they never want to go to church. They may have just prayed that prayer to get you off their back. Are you praying for your children? To know the Lord and to walk with the Lord because the two go together. I'm not talking about a performance-based salvation. But the book of James says, show me your faith by your works. If you're saved, then there will be evidence of that salvation. John 8 and verse 12. I told you it was going to get heavy, but you know what? I'm just going to just throw it all out there today. So let me say this. Some of you got kids. They haven't been to church in 20 years, and you're quite fine with that. That's a very normal thing in Ireland. You go to Mass at Christmas, or you go to Mass when somebody's dead, somebody's married, and that's it. But hey, I'm a Catholic. Well, some of us have the Pentecostal equivalent. I prayed the prayer. I went up to the front. I'm sorted. See you in 20 years, Jesus. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Are we truly walking in the light of the gospel? Because we are obligated by the blood, we are obligated by the cross, we are obligated by the call. Hallelujah. So how we live. Give me five minutes and I'll be finished. I just wanted to catch up on last week. 
how we live. But I believe it's something God is saying to the church at this time, in this season. We need to address how we live. Amen? Amen? How we live. Secondly, how we give. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. We don't just witness by how we live, but by how we give. You know, John 12 talks about how Mary broke the, the alabaster jar, it says, and poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And it says, and the room was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Do you know that those who give have a fragrance on their lives? Just as those who are stingy have a fragrance on their lives. You see, those who love much give much. And giving is so much more than simply money. It's your time, your talent, your gift. Every week, this doesn't just happen. I mean, this is, a, this is a boxing ring. I can see all the blood stains. It's beautiful. But you know what? Every week there's a, an army of people, whether in media or kids or music or sound or uh, cameras, all of these things that make this happen. You see, you know, giving is so much more. There's a cost to the call. And let me say this. If you believe the gospel, you will support the gospel. That's why we tithe. That's why we offer. It's easy to give God your last fruits. And to be honest, that's what many Christians do. They give God whatever left over at the end of the month. But God said to prove him or rather to trust him. And you see, our giving is the clearest indication of what we value. Okay? If it means nothing to you, it probably means nothing to God. Okay? So again, this is, this is I believe, something that we need to hear. We give because we love God, not because we want to get. But this is why we serve, and this is why we surrender. You see, if you surrender, you will serve. Mother Teresa, intense love does not measure, it just gives. Can we honestly say this? Can we say we have given God our best? If you were to stand before the throne of God this very day, and who knows when Jesus will return, but the signs are all around us. Could we say with confidence before the throne of God, Lord, I held nothing back. I gave the call of God and I gave the kingdom of God my very best. I think few of us could. You know, God gave his best. God so loved the world, he gave. You see, God forgive, forbid that we give God any less than our best. You know, I believe there is an urgency to this hour. Martin Luther King Jr., life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? There is an urgency to this hour. We must be about our Father's business, and our Father's business is souls. God wants people to know Him. God wants people to serve Him. And let me say this, there may be dark days coming. Jesus said, night cometh when no man can work. Dark days may be coming, but I know this. We must do everything in the meantime to reach others for Christ. And that's why we need to be part of a local body. Because God works through the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. It is his church. And so, again, you're not connected to the body if you're not connected to the head. And that's why, again, no matter what our gift is, hallelujah, we are called to give. Amen? And so firstly, how we live. Secondly, how we give. Lastly, how we go. Jesus said, go. He said, go. How have we managed to misunderstand what he said? We are called to go to a lost and a broken world with good news. We go with good news because we believe that God loves people and proved it by sending his son. We don't knock on a door because like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, you know, uh, you know, we don't go to the street because we have that motivation. They don't go because they care about your soul. They go because they care about theirs. They're scared. I've asked Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, if you were to die today, would you be sure you go to heaven? Every one of them will say, if they're honest, they'll say, no, I don't. And I always say, well then, why would I want to be listening to you? Because I do. <laughs> We're called to boldly take good news to the world. God says, ask laborers to go into the harvest field. And if, he, if he's asking us to pray for laborers to go to the harvest field, by implication, we must go ourselves. Matthew 7. He said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Proverbs 11.30, he who wins souls 
is wise. The greatest investment you can make in this life is to share the gospel with another person because that is an eternal soul. Amen? And so, if you've never done it before, go with Liam and his team. They go out twice a week, Saturdays and Tuesdays, and you can learn the skill of sharing your faith. Jesus said in John 4.35, as the worship group come forward, there are still four months into the harvest, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You see, we must press in, we must press in for souls. You know, I'm reminded of another person I shared the gospel with. I've been sharing the gospel with people for 30 years. I remember sitting in the car sharing the gospel with this young man who was sitting there practically laughing at me. You know, not too long afterwards, that young man ended up assaulting and murdering a family member. And I just think, what would have happened if that young man had surrendered his life to Jesus in that moment? You see, there's an urgency to sharing the gospel because with some people, it is a last chance. It's a last call of sorts. You know, Job 33 in the message, verse 29. This is the way God works. Over and again, he pulls our souls back from certain destruction so we'll see the light and live in the light. You see, God is tugging at people's hearts even right now in this place. It says he pulls us back from destruction. Another version says two, three times. It says, you know, he calls. I wonder, you know, I, I, I sometimes wonder, is, is it that every person is given three opportunities to receive Jesus? I don't know. I know till your last moment God is reaching out. But are there three specific times that, that God is grappling with your soul? That's why I don't play games when I preach. Because I know that I'm dealing with eternal souls who have an eternal destiny. Jeremiah 9.1 Oh that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. I'm still gripped by that. You know a few weeks ago I had such a vivid dream. Where I, I, I was literally, I, I was in hell and I could see, you know, person after person after person dropping in into a place, you know, of utter torment and sorrow and despair. You see, there are no atheists in hell. There are no agnostics in hell. But it was Thomas Hobbes, the English philosopher, who once said that hell is truth seen too late. Hell is truth seen too late. There is such a thing as too late. There is such a thing as, as, as you know, ignoring God's call and ending up in hell for eternity and recognizing, yes, there is a God. Recognizing, yes, there is a God. Yes, there is eternity. Denying eternity does not change a thing. And as I finish, I want you to stand to your feet. Take a moment to contemplate eternity. Hell is truth seen too late. Do you have a burden for the lost? Do you know that Patrick did? Two seconds, John, I need to finish this. Patrick had a burden for the Irish people. He gave his life to reaching people with the gospel. This is why we don't neglect witnessing or sharing the gospel because we know there's an urgency to this hour. We don't have forever to reach Ireland. We don't have forever to reach the nations. Just this week, my friend, Pastor Kevin Ortiz uh, from, from Texas just told me that he's going to be doing a crusade in Mexico and he wants me to go with him. Glory to God. We're going to go preach the gospel in Mexico. Hallelujah. Oh, the time is short. The need is great. That's why Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. You see, we must be fearless. My last Bible verse, Philippians 1.14. And most of the brothers trusting in the Lord by my chains to dare more abundantly to speak fearlessly the word. We speak this word fearlessly. 
because it is a living word from a living Savior. This is, is uh, the, the Bible, I, I, when we started the church in 07, my wife and myself, I had this Bible and I got a friend of mine from Kerry who, who works, um, he's one of the last bookbinders in, in the country um, uh, to cover it and he covered it with this beautiful Italian letter. And uh, so back in 07 when we started the church, I had a new church and a new Bible. And um, thank you, Lord. You need to love your Bible. You need to read it. But I remember my beautiful little girl, my second child, Naomi. We were in the hospital with, with, with Joanna. She was expecting and, uh, uh, you know, it, she was going through the labor pains, all of these things. And I had my Bible. I always carry my Bible with me. Always carry your Bible with you. And... I don't know what happened, but I lost my Bible and I was so heartbroken, but I was so rejoicing at the same time that my beautiful little brown-eyed girl, Naomi, was born back in 2006. But I was so upset that I'd lost my Bible. But I'd forgotten the fact that I'd put my address on the front of it. And I guess it was maybe, it was probably months later, one day in the post, I received my Bible back. And in it was a note, they didn't write their names, but in it was a note, and it said, we found this in the Coombe Hospital. We assume that you must have been in there because you were having a child, or that your wife was having a child. That's, that's, it's sad that I have to clarify that, but men can't have babies. But in the note it said, we assume that, that your wife must have had a child, but we lost ours. And it gave us such comfort and such hope to read all of the verses that you had highlighted. In what was such a dark time, we were reading all of these verses you had highlighted. For months, these people were reading my Bible. You see, it is a living word. And that is why we are fearless. We are fearless in our faith. We are fearless in, in, in our love. We are fearless in our witness because there, this is the message our nation needs to hear. This is the message. This is the message that Ireland needs to hear. This is the message that Ukraine needs to hear. This is the message that Russia needs to hear. This is the message that the nations need to hear. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Savior. He is the lover of your soul. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is only one life worth living, and that is a life lived for God. Only one life. 